Unplug It is a podcast talking all things St Kilda and brought to you by the wonderful crew at Marbled Meats in East Bentley. You can find them at 291 Chesterfield Road, Bentley East. And a reminder that you can order online with our promo code PLUGGER for 10% off your order and free delivery on any order over 80 bucks. Now enjoy our latest episode. everyone and welcome to another edition of Unplugged after round five and it is the last time the Saints will play in Melbourne possibly for the season certainly for the foreseeable future as they are now not just hub bound but they've settled in at Noosa ahead of their first clash in Queensland against Fremantle this Saturday they'll then get on a plane and fly to Adelaide for a Monday night fixture the following week and we spend a bit of time there as well there's worse places you can be than, than Noosa that's for sure a lovely part of the world but Hopefully, this next 32 days is relatively painless. Uh, a good 18-point victory over Carlton. In reality, the win was probably more convincing than that. That was about the closest Carlton got at any stage in the game. It was a very polished performance. The game largely put to bed just before half time. I know Carlton did rally a little bit in the third quarter, but the damage was done early. Plenty of encouraging signs. We lose Dan Hanabry, unfortunately, for at least a few weeks with a hammy, but hopefully get Zach Jones back and a couple of others. But 11-7-73... To 8755, good performance by the club and blanketing a lot of the matchups that we spoke about last week. Uh, Steele on Cripps and Geary on Doherty, probably predictable matchups, but they went very well for us. And Rowan Marshall again, one out in the ruck. Darren Parkin is my name, Nick Splitter and Aaron McGrath with us. And Nick, first of all, to you, it was uh, got a little flighty in the third quarter, but a pretty comfortable watch. Yeah, it was a bit scratchy. I think that's to be expected. You know, we've, we've still got a young team. They're still gelling, as, as we've spoken about in, in previous episodes. And I, it, was, it was impressive for me that, you know, we, we still played really well. We still had a good win. And we had quite games from guys like Hunter Clark and Jay Gresham uh, and Brad Hill, who, who are really important parts of our, our lineup. They, they were really quiet. We still won. We still played good footy. Uh, as you mentioned, Hanover injured, spent spent a lot of the game on the bench. Um, so there's still heaps to improve on. And, uh, you know, as time goes on, I, I just expect us to keep getting better and better. And that, I mean, that's the plan, isn't it? <laughs> we always want to keep getting better. But, uh, you know, it was impressive that, that we could play so well for most of the game with those guys having quiet ones. And, yeah, it's to be expected that we'll have some some scratchy moments as, as they you know, learn how to gel with each other and, and young kids are, are still developing. But, um, yeah, not a huge amount to be concerned about, I, I thought. H, um, yeah, nice uh, workman-like. We have a good side, which is encouraging. 
Oh, any win against Carlton's a good win, so we'll put it down to that. Um, they're, they're, they're not the team that they were a few years ago. They are a reasonable team at the moment. Um, it seems to be these younger sides, the more inexperienced sides, seem to be actually going all right at the moment. Um, it's, I don't know whether the whole everything being thrown out of proportion and or out of out of consistent or normal normality, I guess, is sort of getting it. The, the younger kids a bit more of a hey let, let's really hit this hard and make something that may not be there if it was just a regular season so they're yeah, trying to make the most of it it seems like um, but yeah in funny turn of events we've headed to Noosa as I was saying off air before I was meant to be heading to Queensland myself this week so um, it's obviously not happening anymore but yeah Noosa was on the cards but yeah I'm going to miss out and yeah they've all gone up there now and from what I'm hearing, the reason behind being there is that they were able to take some family if they wanted to and yep. means that yeah, when they're not playing, they're able to spend time with their family. And I think it's just going to help gel the group a bit better, um, keeping out, keeping, um, staying away from, I guess, where everyone else is and just having a place for themselves and stay as a team, play as a team. Yeah, and I mean, obviously last year we played Carlton late in the season and they knocked us off at the MCG when we are in a healthy position. So it was good to obviously turn that back around. They'd finished last season pretty well, better than we had finished last season. And obviously start this one in the way we have was, was very, very pleasing. So um, obviously Max King showed some, some really encouraging signs with sticky hands and even though the goal he set up with the intercept possession that uh, Butler kicked in the third quarter. Uh, Marshall playing well in the ruck creates that question again around Paddy Ryder. I mean, you sense he'll play at some stage this year, but Ryder, um, Marshall is a much better player when he does it by himself. Um, Jack Billings, I'd, I'd love to see his goal-kicking stance. I reckon he would have kicked seven or eight straight this year. He's a free guy that's been wayward in front of goal. He's not missing, and they're not missing too much either. So hopefully now that they're playing football outside, that um, that remains the case. But, um, yeah, a really, a really pleasing start. Uh, I guess some votes... Pate, you're uh, your three, two, and one out of that performance. I know most people had uh, had Jack Steele at the top of the tree. Do you have him there as well? Yeah, I've got him at the top. I was going to say you were very close. He's had six straight, actually. So you're you very close. Uh, yeah, definitely Jack Steele, number one uh, for the three votes. Um, just he does that job. He gets in. He does it. He does it. He does it. It's he stops their best player. That that's his job. He did it. You can't do anything more than that and that's the reason you now I gets it um so I went to Caulfield I basically look at it the game he played that's that's his breakout game it feels like he, everything he did worked he got to the right positions he used the ball well um I mean there's, there's still that second third third year sort of a little bit of jitter sometimes but it didn't really show this week he looked confident, looked, knew what he was doing. And as I said, that's got to be his breakout game. If he goes on from there, we've, we've got a, we've got an absolute gun there. Um, and one to Marshall, once again, did his job. He'd come up against a Ruckman who is in form and has beaten him and gave us plenty of service, gave us the ball when we needed it. Um, went up forward, provided the target. Did everything we asked him. Um, obviously, apologies to Geary, apologies to uh, Wilkie. Um, 
a couple of few other players we could have thrown in there as well. Nick, yeah, very similar. I've gone three. Jack Steele. H. He said he uh, he stops their best player and and doesn't have to do anything else. Well, he, he did some more as well. He got twenty three touches of his own. Uh, nine tackles, four clearances. He had a, just one of the, the great all-round games that, that we've seen recently. Uh, two I gave to Marshall. I thought he just just bossed the, the, the ruck work, I think, especially in the, in the second half as uh, as Carlton was starting to come and, and gain a bit of momentum. Marshall did a really good job trying to trying to kind of get them in the middle and, and you know, 22 hit-outs, 19 touches, seven clearances of his own, uh, which is uh, very impressive for, for a guy of his stature and, and, and size. Um, and Nick Caulfield, like you said, if that's his breakout game, if he gets better from there, then, then you're right. We've got a gun, um, 20 touches, 461 metres gain. He, he attacked the ball really hard. It wasn't just his, it wasn't just what he did with the ball when he had it, but it was the way that he got the ball that really impressed me. And, and I haven't seen him do that um, so far in his career. And, but the way that he attacked the ball, attacked the man, uh, was, was very impressive. And, and I wanted to give a, an honourable mention, a shout out to Dean Kent, he only touched the ball 11, 11 times, but he had eight score involvements, which is, uh, you know, for a guy who plays in the position that he does, not always going to get a lot of the ball, but, but what he does with it is, is super important. And, uh, you know, he had a big impact when he, when he did get the ball. Yeah, um, I've been highly critical of, of Dean Kemp, but his last fortnight's been really impressive. A lot against Richmond, he, he did some nice things. Uh, his kicking seems to have improved. The, the long-range goal he kicked in the last quarter was a, a beauty from probably 55 and cleared the fence. So... Uh, um, that's obviously what you want to see. Um, three votes, Jack Steele, your best on ground by a mile. Um, I think Dermot Bruton sort of summed it up. I mean, Steele's probably in our top six or seven players. But if a player that's sort of mid-range or higher at your club blankets the opposition's best player, then, then you're clearly going to take that. That was excellent. Rowan Marshall, two votes, most influential. Tall on the ground. And uh, I gave one vote to Billings. Cockfield certainly unlucky. But I think Billings' uh, ball-winning ability the last few weeks, he's been getting sort of between 22 and 25 possessions. He's been hitting the scoreboard. Crucial goal. That goal he kicked on the three-quarter time. Sorry, when we were under a little bit of pressure. was was so important. And the game was effectively over when he kicked that. So, honourable mention to Cockfield. Also, Geary. I mean, Doherty's such an important player. And, and Geary's kicked two goals on him in the first quarter. Blanketed him. Could have kicked four or five with the chances he had. So, that was huge. And you mentioned the, the honourables. Uh, so, Kel Wilkie, I read a stat during the week that he had, uh, he's won 51% of defensive one-on-one contests, which is number one in the AFL this year. So I think that probably sums it up. He just doesn't get beaten. So he either wins the contest or he neutralises the contest in defence. So Mr. Reliable, as, as always. And most of the guys were uh, were pretty good. Certainly uh, certainly Cockett, to mention. And even Butler played well enough again, sort of in and around the mix. And, and, and Max King would have been... Sort of hovering around votes at, at half time, so he, he should just keep getting better from there. But uh, next stop is Fremantle, which we'll take a look at a bit later on. But it's time for our feature interview today with a former vice captain and former best and fairest winner, Andrew Thompson. Into the space, Zilla attacks it well. Zilla's high ball to full forward, wanting a mark there. Neatly got underneath it. Now Thompson, normally a good kick round the body. It's another one. They just can't miss. Well, our latest guest on the program certainly made the most of his career with the Saints. So came along as a, a relatively late maturer, drafted at about 24 years of age and would only miss about seven games of football in his first six seasons, would play over 200 games to the club, would, would have best and fairest and was a part of that nearly all-conquering grand final team of 
1997, has been involved in the club for a long time uh, in a board capacity. I speak of Andrew Thompson. And Andrew, thanks for joining us. Uh, G'day, Darren. Yeah, nice, nice to be here. Yep. Starting off with that that journey, obviously you'd be overlooked in a, in a few drafts and, and obviously get a couple of look-ins, but, but it wasn't until the 96 draft where you were taken, I think, in the 60s, 63 or, or thereabouts. In terms of your career and the the knockbacks along the way, was there a constant theme of feedback that you're getting saying, well, this is this is the reason why perhaps you're not getting drafted? Or what do you think was the reason that it took that long? Because you certainly uh, settled in very quickly when you got there. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange journey. I, um, I suppose I had that... Uh, when I was growing up, I was quite good in the underage uh, years, just playing for school. But when I got to year 12, I was very immature and... Um, pretty small. My nickname is Mini, and it was because I was about you know, five foot four in year twelve. So you know, I was playing a couple of games in the twos, and the chances of going from playing uh, reserves at school to to being drafted were pretty remote. So went overseas for a year, bought a combi van, travelled around Europe, uh, did all those types of things, and then came back and was playing in the amateurs, the old Melburnians, and uh, started playing some decent footy as I got a bit older. Uh, went down to St Kilda at the end of '93. Uh, did a pre-season down there and um, Stan Owls had just become coach. Sort of um, did okay in the pre-season, but uh, basically at the end of, the, end of um, January, they said, see you later, not required. So I went back to the Amateurs, another year down there. I ended up playing four games for St Kilda in the twos. I remember the first game I was playing against uh, Melbourne. They told me to tag Rodney Grinter. And um, Rodney Grinter, if you remember, was a pretty tough player and I was just... <laughs> finding my way. So I was, you know, I'd barracked from Melbourne when I was growing up and I was a bit nervous about playing on him. But uh, So I played four games in reserves in 94 for, for the Saints. End of the season, I said, yes, you know, not really interested. So um, I got a phone call from the Bulldogs and I actually went down there in 95, spent a whole year in the twos, um, playing under Terry Wallace, who was the reserves coach. Uh, Alan Joyce was the senior coach there. And got to the end of that year, and actually a good year, I came second in the best and fairest in the reserves. And that was before, you know, it was a sublist time. So you couldn't actually go on and play senior footy at any stage during the year. And uh, Alan Joyce actually said to me about round 13, if you're eligible, we'd pick you this year, uh, this week. Um, but uh, as of, So I got to the end of the year and they, they basically said, uh, you know, you had a great year, but we think you'll always be a good twos player and never play senior footy. So back to the old Melburnians, played about six games uh, in... What was that, 1996 with them? And then Johnny Beveridge ran me back up and said, look, got a few injuries. I know you're 23. Uh, we'd like you to just come down and play some twos footy. Very unlikely to get drafted, but we'll just you know, see how you go. So went back down there and um, playing you know, midfield uh, down the forward line. I was working at the time, so I was only getting down there to train every now and again. Um, but playing good footy on the weekends. And remember the, the morning of the draft, Johnny Beveridge ran me up and said, look, you're not out of the equation. So, well, that doesn't sound all that promising. So, um, anyway, uh, they ended up picking me pick 64. But it was never, well, 62, I can't remember exactly the number. But, um, yeah, it was never one thing. I, I think the kicking was probably something that clubs would put off a little bit with. But, um, you know, I had a good work ethic and eventually got my chance. So, that whole being drafted as a, at a later age, we've seen quite a few players that have come on at that later stage and, basically fits straight into a team at the moment. We've got Cal Wilkie down there who could draft yeah. as an older, older player. And the, is there a bit more determination when you are that bit older to prove yourself that you should be playing, that you've been 
overlooked previously and you shouldn't have been overlooked? And does it, does it spur you on a little bit more? Well, I think you realise that if, if uh, you don't do everything right, you'll probably be out the door pretty quickly. Uh, my, my first meeting with Stan Owls was, um, was pretty interesting because he said to me, uh, you're, you're the worst player on our list. So it's, um, it's not about now that you've been drafted, you've made it, this is the start of the journey. So it was actually something that I always remembered because you know, I walked away from that, that initial meeting saying, well, if I, I'm going to have to work damn hard to get a chance in, uh, of playing senior footy. And um, I ended up playing round one in 1997, got dropped straight away. And, uh, and then eventually got back, I think, round four. And from then on, um, managed to play a few games in a row. That, that 96 draft was pretty good for us. Thing We got Maxie Hutchinson in the first round yeah. and, and yourself a couple of rounds later, a couple of 200-game players for us in that draft. Um, but what was it like for you guys walking in and, and seeing, you know, in the, in the locker room, in the gym, you've got Robert Harvey and Nathan Burke, Mickey Winmar, Stuart Lowe, those sorts of guys. What, what was it like walking into that into that club at that time. Well, it was kind of, kind of interesting for me because I'd spent a bit of time down there previously. So I remember the first time I walked in uh, after Johnny Beveridge had originally run me up in, in 93 and, and seeing um, Lowy and, and Spud and, and those guys standing around the gym. And I just, you know, looking at the size of these guys and I think I grabbed the bench press and, you know, sort of tried to do my first one and it got pinned to my chest and, Someone had to come. I think actually Trevor Poole was doing a pre-season. I don't remember him. He was playing for Geelong previously. He was doing a pre-season. He had to come and lift it off my chest and say, maybe uh, maybe just start with a bit of a lot of weight there, buddy. <laughs> but those guys, yeah, they were just all tremendous players and you know, fortunate enough to play with them for quite a few uh, few years after uh, initially meeting them. Uh, but to see, yeah, the, the, the thing that just stands out is just see their work ethic and, and Haas was you know, outstanding in that area and, you always wanted to try and keep up with him and, and, and try and beat him in anything that you could, um, you know, any event that you came up against him in. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, all, they're all just fantastic people once you got to meet them and, and um, spend a bit of time with them. One of the loudest roars I ever heard as a kid was when you kicked the first goal of the preliminary final in, in 97, the, the quick snap out of the pack. And obviously for all the Saints fans, that was sort of, I guess, the the closest they'd come in a very, very long time to, to experiencing that ultimate success. In that early stages of your career, you spent a lot of time sort of floating forward and, and sort of pushing up through the middle. And then eventually you became a, a bona fide out-and-out midfielder. Can you sort of explain that transition, sort of how you eventually developed your role to, to being a full-time on-baller? Yeah, well, I certainly remember that game. It was one of my favourite games of my career. It was um, running out on the MCG, 97, uh, prelim final. and um, it was one of those things where I reckon of the 87,000 people there, 80,000 or probably 60,000, it seemed to be St Kilda supporters. 78,000. We got off to a bit of a run. Jason Heaple. Yeah. Was that how many were there? Yeah. Um, anyway, Jason Heaple uh, starred that night and I think he kicked six or seven goals. And, yeah, I do remember kicking that first goal. It was a, it was a great feeling. But I also remember in the last quarter, hand passing it to Nicky Winmar and he, he ran in at about the 20-minute mark at the last and, and kicked the goal. And it was sort of that moment in time that you realised that you're going to play in a grand final. Uh, so, yeah, that was my role originally. I was playing mainly in the forward line as a um, as almost a negating forward, trying to take the um, guys who were running off the halfback flank for the opposition. Uh, and then eventually got into the midfield myself and went from, you know, st- well, started really doing... In the start of the season, one to one and four, yeah, yep. 
what what was changed around that time? Did I mean you say you came in yourself around about the four round four round five point there? Um, was there much that you could see from within the team that changed and made us look at a different direction and go, no, this, this is what we've got to do? Well, it was a pretty um, interesting meeting we had with Stan Owls after uh, you know, round four or round five. Uh, and the team wasn't travelling too well. And, and Stan basically got us all together and said, if you want me out of here, I'll, I'll leave. You guys need to have a bit of time to think about it. And, and whatever you decide to do, you know, I'm, I'm either in or I'm out. And he actually went on to say that he'd had some bigger issues in his life and catching footy and losing games of footy wasn't, um, you know, wasn't the hardest thing that he's ever had to cope with. And uh, he left the room and, and Nicky Winmar was one of the guys who stood up and said, you know, this is ridiculous. It's not about a coach. It's about us you know, getting together and um, believing in our abilities. And, and Lowy, had, Lowy had obviously had a fair bit to say and Berkey and, and Harves as well. And it was really from that point in time um, when Stan offered to, to walk, walk away that everything started clicking and we started playing some good footy, got on a bit of a roll. Yeah, and we, and we did have a pretty good side. Yeah, you think about the folks in the midfield and Nozzy Jones, who was playing unbelievable footy, and, and Peko and Youngie and, and Heaters, who I think kicked it around about 80% that year in terms of his goal kicking. So we, um, and, and of course, you got the, the Fab Four in, in um, Cuz, Arves, Berkey, and, and Lowy. So uh, we, we had the cattle, we just. Um, fell over the last two on a, on a day where Adelaide played better footy than So I mean, we, we've asked a few of uh, your contemporaries from that, that team about that day and without bringing up too many kind of raw memories and, and, and wounds, what, what do you remember about that day? Well, was, I mean, I remember the build-up. The build-up was quite extraordinary and uh, Stan had that thing where he did the hacker and, um, in the, in the lead-up to the match and... Uh, but it was it was all part of the, the build-up, and we had huge crowds of training, which was obviously very exciting, and the grand final parade. And you know, I was playing my first year of footy, so I think it was my 22nd or 23rd match. So it was all just a great experience. And you get out on grand final day, and and the reality was, once once the game had started, it just really felt like another game of football to me. It was just you know, go and play your role, and um, the crowd was there, but it didn't really seem to have that big an impact once the game started. Uh, I I was tagging Darren Jarman for pretty much up until the 20 minute mark of the third quarter, and um, the runner he went forward, and the runner came out and said, "Don't go with him." And I think Christ didn't have to go with him because it could have been the end of my career. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, what he ended up kicking six goals from that point in time, and really was a difference. And yeah. uh, you look at the matchups and whether or not that was that was part of it. But the reality was they had um, Andrew McLeod coming off the halfback flank playing. Um, pretty well, and Shane Oss kicked four goals, or four or five goals, you know, <laughs> and I don't think he'd ever really started forward before in his career, so everything seemed to go right for them, and we had a few issues with Spider doing his collarbone before the match, and um, you know, Lowy had a couple of personal issues that he had to deal with, and Nicky Winmar's uh, father died in the week leading up to the grand final, so look, there's there's a few things that didn't go our way, but um, we didn't get it done when it needed to be done at the same time. As much as uh, it might have been a risky move, in hindsight, I wouldn't have minded you uh, going back and having a crack if we could go back in time and, and just see if it might have gone a little bit differently had you have uh, followed him into defence. But uh, they often say when, when young players, like a kid in their first or second year, plays in a grand final and they lose, there's the assumption in that player's head, oh, we're a good side, we'll be back again. This is just playing footy. 
you were a mature recruit at the end of the grand final. Did you have that belief, oh, we're a strong enough side, we'll be back again? Or, or I guess with your wiseness or, or experience, you thought, well, geez, these are pretty hard to win and, and we've really missed an opportunity there. No, no, unfortunately, it was very much the, the former for me. I, I thought we'll be here next year, we'll, um, we'll get another chance. And uh, look, I, I think most players have that optimistic view. So coming out of a granny and, and you know, after playing such good footy during the year, and Joel Smith doing his knee and a couple of other injuries as well. We thought we get everything um, going our way. We're a really good chance to to win one the following year. And uh, we, I think we topped the ladder after around 14 or 15. And um, and then things just started to, to fall apart a little bit. And uh, at the end of that year, Stan left. So you realise 10 years down the track or 11 years down the track that they're damn hard to, to get to to start with and, and even harder to win. So you now we've seen that. Um, in 2009, 2010 as well, the guys had unbelievably great seasons, but just couldn't uh, get over the line when it mattered. Now, team-wise, they were great seasons, but personally, 1999, uh, Channel Seven Player of the yeah, Year. Of the year. Um, <laughs> how, how did you get it over to the likes of Crawford and uh, Lloyd, Carey, all them? What did you do that? One day I don't know. I didn't do enough to uh, get the umpires' votes, obviously. But um, yeah, I was, it was one of those things. I I did keep an eye on it as we got later in the later in the year, and I saw that I was uh, very close. And uh, round, well, I suppose it was round twenty-two. We played against West Coast um, over there. We couldn't make finals, and and they really needed to win to um, to I think even get in the top four. And it was Luke Beveridge's last game, and he made the most extraordinary speech before he left. And to go out on the ground, um, you know, the emotion that he was able to bring out of all the players there, talking about what it means to play for footy. And uh, you know, I just went out that day and I knew that I was two votes behind Shane Crawford to, to win the Channel 7 Player of the Year. And 20 grand back then seemed like a lot of money. So uh, I think it was more about Luke in his last uh, game and the fact that he just so inspiring when we left the change rooms. And I just had one of those games where you know, the ball kept falling in my lap. So managed to get the three votes from the commentators and I then listened to uh, as much as I could the radio of Shane Crawford playing the next day uh, at Waverley to see if he was getting too many touches and he, he, <laughs> I think he finished with uh, you know, not enough of the footy so I managed to get the three votes and collect the um, the novelty check from Channel 7 which is uh, was I was living with a with a few mates in Richmond and we had it up on the wall there for a little while but um, yeah that was a good year and Funny, I think I came fourth in the St Kilda Best and Fairest that year, so I was a fair way uh, behind some of the other guys according to the coaches. But that's just, yeah, probably, I think I was, what would I have been, 27, 28, and it's a good time to be, um, maybe I was a little bit younger, 26, but regardless, it's a good time of your career. You feel feel really strong and fit and um, probably, you know, felt that I'd uh, uh, understood the game a little bit better and, and where my placement team was, so... Yeah, that, that, that year was a bit of fun. Speaking of the, the passion to play footy and, and individual awards, the next year you actually won the St Kilda Best and Fairest. What, what does that mean to you to, to forever be a Trevor Barker medalist at, at the St Kilda Footy Club? Yeah, look, it's, it's not something I thought about much during my career, but it's, it is very nice to have that uh, now that you're finished and you look back and I think the only thing I'd say was we, I won it in a year where the, the team won two matches for the year, so it was a pretty average average uh, year of footy um, but nonetheless it is nice to show the kids and um, you know, not that they tend to, to care so much about those types of things but 
you know, I didn't I didn't really ever get to spend much time with Trevor, but uh, I did spend a bit of time with his parents, and you know, they're, they're outstanding people, and obviously he had such an incredible impact on this football club. So to have a, a trophy in in the back room and um, named after Trevor sitting there, it's a, it, it does mean more now that I've finished um, than probably it did at the time. Just a comment on those coaches. So you won a best and fairest under Tim Watson. Obviously, you started to understand. We had the brief stint under Malcolm the following year in, in 2001. And then Grant Thomas coached you through until your second last year. And then, obviously, you had Ross. But um, I guess just a, a word on the impact of, of your co- coaches over the journey. Yeah, well, I think they all played a role. Uh, uh, Stan had a very big impact on me because I thought he was a great motivator. Um, he really made you come to training uh, and, and want to train like the way you play. So you know, I remember him making Nicky Widmer run 10 laps around the oval because he missed a kick. And you know, Nicky was one of the best kicks in the team. And I was probably one of the worst. So I just hand-passed a lot that, that session. But um, yeah, he was he was really intense person. Um, he used to try and get players to tell jokes before training just to try and lighten the mood a bit. But he really did have a big impact on my career and uh, you know, I think oh, a lot to the way he went about it to start with. And you know, Tim gave me the freedom to play in the midfield and um, you know, I probably played my best footy under Tim. I think he was a sensational person. I really enjoyed spending time with him and I think he was a good footy, had a good footy brain. He probably just didn't have the courage of his own um, philosophies and he had a lot of people, when, when things didn't go as well as they perhaps um, we're going early in the season and, you know, they started tailing off a little bit in the middle of the season and then got worse from there. He probably was listening, like, in my view, he was listening to a lot of different uh, opinions and, um, you know, the way we were playing early in the uh, in his coaching career, he probably should have just, you know, stuck with that and believed in it. Um, Malcolm wasn't there for very long. I, I still got more stories about Malcolm Blight than probably any of the other coaches because it was just fascinating to see the way he went about doing things. And then Grant, look, Grant was just a... He had an incredible ability to motivate a team. Um, he'd make players, you know, almost run the, the proverbial brick wall um, for him. And But it, he, he just had an amazing ability to bring the whole team together and want to spend time with each other. And he was a, he was a coach who introduced those in, uh, overseas trips. And um, I think we got a lot out of that. But even just going to his house and um, having the barbecues that he used to put on almost on a weekly basis and, getting the guys to spend time and appreciate each other. It didn't mean you had to be best mates with the other players, but at least you could actually go and have a, um, a barbecue with them, enjoy each other's company. So he was he was very good with that. And, um, you know, we probably, there was that time in 2004 and 2005, we were playing pretty outstanding footy and Matt Rendell was um, his assistant. And, you know, I think that was some of the more enjoyable times of being out in the ground when you at Eddie Hates or whatever it was called back then, <laughs> whatever it's called now, kind of Marvel Stadium. Um, and the whole wing was cheering and, and Fraser's kicked his ninth or tenth or whatever he was up to and, you know, Rue was doing what he was doing. It was, it was a pretty special time. But once again, we got a few injuries leading into the finals and, and didn't quite, quite get there. And look, I only spent one, one year with Ross, but clearly tactically brilliant. Um, very big on, on defence and uh, a straight shooter. You, you, you knew exactly where you stood with him and, I remember getting on the bus after playing against Port Adelaide. I was I was starting to struggle at a knee injury, and he basically we just we just lost over there and walked on the bus and he was sitting at the front. And he just said, "You're done." So, right, yeah, 
was pretty much the end of my career. So he did put me back in once or twice, but um, yeah, no, he knew where you stood with him. And you just look at the, the way the guys talk about him now. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got a huge amount of respect for the way that he went about it. Now, going back to Malcolm, um, there was one incident that I actually do remember as I actually witnessed it myself. Um, I was always one to wait back a little bit and wait for the traffic to get out and sort of wait around a little bit. And all of a sudden, we were just sitting there and then out come all the players again. And then we're looking over and then Malcolm sits you all in the centre circle. And I was thinking, what's going on here? What, what, what did he sit you down and tell you? Yeah, it was an interesting dog. So we used to... We used to actually go into the rooms and then come back out and do a cool down. And, um, you know, it was part of the, the fitness guys decided that was the best way to do it rather than doing it around the change rooms. So we're out there and we're doing, you know, the few run-throughs, et cetera. And then Malcolm came out and he, he basically made us all sit in the centre circle. And when you got 22 blokes trying to sit in the centre circle, it's pretty tough. The guys were sitting on each other's laps. And, um, you know, and we didn't know where this was going with... You know, we're looking around trying to figure out what he's going to say. And he, he actually, once we'd all sort of managed to manipulate, manipulate ourselves into the centre circle, he, he, um, he said, look, we're all in this together and I'm not going anywhere. We want to, we want to turn this footy club into a great footy club. Uh, and it's important that you all understand that. Uh, he then, on I think the Monday or the Tuesday night, he went, got a whiteboard and he basically put out everything that he'd achieved in football and he, he ticked every box, so, you know, Goldman medal, Bramley medal, best and fairest, full Australian, you know, and ticked them all. And then at the end, he had, you know, sacked. And he put a big circle around it. And he said, I'm not ticking this box. And he got sacked the next day. <laughs> so, it was better, but it, I mean, I remember going to that press conference. I was vice captain. And uh, it was, I don't know, there must have been 150 press all turned up to, to witness Malcolm getting sacked and I was sitting on the edge of the table just hoping they weren't going to ask me any questions. <laughs> I got through on the skate, so I think Harz had to say a bit, but I was, uh, I was far enough on the side not to be, not to be asked. So I was quite happy with that. So with the type of play you were tough in the clinches, you know, hard at it, um, chasing your man, chasing the ball. You, you seem to get yourself up for big games. Is that something that you, you prided yourself on? I and mean, look at the, the preliminary final against Port in 04, 20 touches, eight tackles, similar story in the, the, uh, qualifying final against the Crows the next year. Was that something that you really prided yourself on in terms of getting yourself up for those big games? Uh, I mean, I, the excitement of playing in big games was probably just did it naturally. I just, I, I just had a great desire to try and play well every week. And you know, I know that's not always going to be the case, but I, I kind of felt that if I wasn't getting enough of the footy, at least I could tackle and, and um, try and do a bit in that regard. And I, I also knew my limitations and I think that's, one thing that players are, are getting better at uh, understanding these days. But you know, if, if I could get the ball out to, to an Aussie Jones or, or someone who used the ball really well, then that was going to be more beneficial to the team than me trying to take on a couple of opposition players and have a bounce because that wasn't going to help anyone. So, um, But the, the big games were, they were exciting. And, and those game, two games you mentioned, playing um, both at Football Park uh, in Adelaide, it was... It was just so loud, and the Port Adelaide game in particular, when it was a prelim final, winner goes into the granny, and um, you know we had our chances. Fraser kicked his hundreds, and the crowd came on, lost a bit of momentum, and you know there's always excuses, but at the end, Port Adelaide were a very good side as well. Um, but I remember yelling at Harms, and he was he was probably seven or eight feet away, and 
he couldn't hear me because it was just so loud. But yeah, you, know, you do play footy to to try and celebrate those those big games with your teammates, and if you can contribute, then obviously that makes it more satisfying. But yeah, you know, it's still. It still is a bit hollow that you you play 11 years and you look at all those players that come in and you know win a grand final and you know they're premiership players and you know I know it's a unique thing about the St Kilda Football Club but pretty ready for it to finish now and looking forward to seeing this team and see how they go. It's a it's an amazing one obviously of your your journey arriving in your mid 20s. So I guess the, the final one from me, you arrive in your mid 20s, you spent effectively two decades at the club playing and and board and and the like, which is remarkable given as you say you're told on your first day at the club that you're the worst player on the list and <laughs> you go on and do what less than three percent of players do, which is play 200 AFL games. In terms of the the journey for the club now, how do you see? I mean, when we say the health of the club, I think everyone's in a little bit of bother given the the COVID era, but uh, in terms of the the shape they're in now, and, and obviously getting back to Moorabbin, and and even the progress that they're making this year, I guess the club that that you arrived and, and the club you've you, you you find now, how do you how do you see the club at, at present? Oh look, I, I'm incredibly um, excited about the players that they've got on the list. I think the the job that the the footy department did in the in the off season was just outstanding. You bring in five players of the quality that you've got. It does remind me a little bit of uh, 2001 or 2000 when Malcolm Blight um, came in. And we also got, you know, Fraser and, and Aaron Hamill. And you bring in two guys like that and it just brings a whole team up. Um, so to see, you know, Hill come in, um, Zach Jones and, um, and and these guys, it just, Paddy Ryder, um, you know, it really gives us a bit of depth to our side. And, I think it always, you know, the club's always going to be in a reasonable position if the on-field is successful. Um, you can always try and build the, the off-field stuff and and make sure that you're in a reasonable financial position when things aren't going so well. But as a club, we've really struggled on the revenue side. Um, and, you know, when you're winning, that, that can really obviously bring the money in the door. And, you know, to get sponsors on and those types of things, I think the club's in a really good spot in terms of their on-field now. You know, the, the coach seems, and I don't know Brett particularly well, um, I played on him, he's a pretty tough player, but it seems the players really enjoy playing under him. So it seems like there's a, there's a good um, spirit amongst the, the players and the young guys are coming through and, you know, you, you look at Hunter Clark and, uh, and Gresh and, and those guys, it really gives us a lot of confidence about the, the list that's there. And, and obviously Max, who's young, Max King, but you, you I was in a meeting when we were talking about who we're going to draft in that 2018 draft. And we knew he had a bad knee, but to see the stuff that he can do, even though it's only glimpses of it at the moment, you know, it, 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 you can build a team around players like that. So that's what gives me confidence. Um, I feel clearly we've, I've been off the board for a couple of years, so I'm not as close to it as, as I was, but clearly we've got to get the finances under control. I think Andrew Bassett's you know, stepped in as president and he's doing a great job. I've been a huge fan of Matt Finnis for, for a long time. So getting back to Seaford's just, you know, it's it's the thing that's... Get, sorry, getting getting back to Moorabbin from Seaford is the thing that's, um, uh, I think, going to give this club a lot of strength for a, for a long period of time. So I'm, I'm really excited about watching it, uh, even though we can't go there at the moment, um, to see the guys actually have the skills to hit players wearing the same colour jumper as them and, and kick goals rather than points. It's uh, it's exciting. So I think we're in, a, we're in a good spot. Now, we haven't asked 
many uh, of the people guys have had on recently this this sort of question but you were at the club at the peak of the likes of Milne and Bakes and Spider going back a little bit further that known as a bit of pranksters around the club and that sort of thing did you fall victim to them at any point with anything anything good or well I was actually um I was fortunate enough to be the host of Saints TV which is probably not going to be one of the highest rating things on um, YouTube these days but we did do this thing which is called Saint Scared and uh, Milne and Bakes were the two guys who who were the participants and I was just the host. So they used to do the most ridiculous stunts that you've ever seen, um, including going to the physio room and putting the TINS machine, which is a, a machine which puts electric current through your body to try and help stimulate um, uh, recovery. And they're putting it in um, some reasonably sensitive areas and turning it up as as hard <laughs> as high as they could to see you could stomach the pain for as long as possible. And it was all on, it's all on film. So the fact that I was, um, uh, assisting them probably meant that I, I didn't have to suffer for any of their pranks that they they do around the club uh, on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, they're, they're the characters that you love having around a footy club. And you know, Spider, I, I speak to him on the odd occasion, and um, I know he's up uh, in Queensland now hosting Breakfast Radio. But he was yeah, he was an unbelievably great ruckman, and to be able to sit there at the centre bounds, he'd be singing the opposition theme song as the ball was being bounced and, and then flipping over his head um, as Harves would be running past. And you know, we used to have this thing called the Harvey ball where it looked like it was, he was going to hit it one way and then he'd flip it back the other way. And he was just so talented. And then he could go forward. I'm, I remember he kicked nine goals, I think, down at Geelong. And, you know, so, so they're the guys that you love having around a footy club. And, um, you know, Bakes and Milne are obviously part of that as well. Tomo, one more from me. Obviously, you were there as a player um, with GT and, and Rod Butters as, as president. Um, and then obviously on the board a little later on, what, what are your memories of that, that later period with, with the other Tomo and, and Butters and, and how that relationship might have had an impact on the playing group toward the, the later stages of your career? Uh, in terms of negative impact you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because they had, they had a very positive impact in early and, and even you know, Rod came in and, and obviously been reasonably successful in his, his personal life and um, he... Uh, managed to bring in enough money to even just resurface the ground at, at Moorabbin and uh, Grant had come in and said, well, you know, these change rooms aren't acceptable. And he even managed to get a working bee with different builders coming in and fixing that whole area up. And you know, we had four showers, which went cold after about two minutes. And, and they just both said, well, that's just ridiculous. We, you know, even to something as simple as getting continuous hot water systems on the showers was to us at the time just felt like a complete luxury. So, they had a very positive impact then. And then obviously later on, there was a falling out between Grant and Rod. Um, look, the players probably didn't uh, have a huge amount of understanding what was going on. I think there was a fair bit of surprise when when Grant eventually got sacked because you know, I think we even played finals that year, lost to Melbourne in the, um, in the first final. So, you know, he'd, he'd taken us to a couple of prelims and for whatever reason, the board had decided that I needed to bring in someone else who um, potentially could taste that next level. Uh, clearly, that didn't work either. But you know, really, their relationship was something that I found out um, more about later and um, in later years rather than at the time. But yeah, that, those things, even if you don't know much about them, there's probably an undercurrent of, um, of knowledge about you know, people aren't getting on as well as they um, probably had been in the past. And maybe it has an impact, but you know, really on field, we didn't notice it too much. 
Tomo, thanks for giving us uh, so much of your time uh, today. You're obviously a ripper. You squeezed every drop, I think, out for the uh, for the club, and it was a, a joy to watch you play. And, and thanks for uh, for jumping on as our guest this week. Good on you guys. Nice to speak to you. Well, for some Saints fans, this weekend does represent a return to watching the club live whilst we languish a little bit here in Victoria, unfortunately. Uh, it is bright sunshine in Queensland for more than one reason. Obviously, St Kilda uh, taking stock in Noosa ahead of their clash with Fremantle at Metricon Stadium this week. We've got uh, Beverly and Murray Brown from the Queensland Saints Supporters Group, the official supporters group for the Saints in the sunny state. And uh, it is great that some members will be able to get along this week but guys thanks for joining us and we are very envious but um yeah i'm sure you're delighted to have the club in your state for a while yes for sure thrilled, for sure. thrilled. waited a long time <laughs> for a game <laughs> so how long have you guys been uh i guess a, a part of or how long has the group been there with uh with, with your involvement up in queensland for the uh for the st kilda supporters up there of which there are quite a few yeah we um <clears throat> we started in or well, bev and i moved up here from melbourne in 1990, yeah, well, uh, 1992. Um, we started the supporter group in 1996, so it's been going all that time. Uh, last count, we haven't got a count of number members numbers this year, but last year was a bit over 1,100. That's paid up members throughout Queensland. Yeah, I think there's been a bit of a rush of uh, memberships today. <laughs> So what, what are you guys doing to, uh, I guess, promote this week? Obviously, it's a pretty big one. Most, most Saints fans haven't seen a game live for, for a long time. So what are you guys doing to, kind of, I guess, promote the game now that we're in Queensland? Facebook. Just going on all the various Saints Facebook pages, promoting it. Everyone knows anyway that obviously St Kilda are up here and they just want information. So it's, it's an easy promote. So we're just, yeah, making the most of it. Do you often get to talk to the club and work with the players and get them to help you out in that sort of aspect of it all, getting to promote the, when we do have a game up there, because it quite often doesn't happen. Um, do they help out in that way with getting the word out to the locals? Yeah, no, they're, they're good uh, to work with. Um, th there's always a function. Whenever St Kilda play up here, there's always a function and um, we have contact with them. They help us set up a function, um, whether it be on the Gold Coast or in Brisbane. And it's always been that way. So, yeah, it's been good. When you've had some of the, I guess, the Queenslanders up there playing, so a, a Sam Gilbert, David Armitage, uh, Max Hudson in the past, Rue, even though obviously it's Queensland via Tasmania, but... Do you generally get a lot of special representation from those sorts of guys, the, the, the locals, when it comes to these events? Yeah, very much so. And all of those guys really embraced us as well, uh, particularly in the early days when we were getting started in the late 90s, you know, when the club was doing really well. Um, I think they felt a special affinity with us. Um, and there was a few, few more, you know, there's been Armo and um, a few over the years. But yeah, I think that's a special, special spot for us. And they're always very obliging. You know, we would have pre-match or post-match functions, be it on the Gold Coast or in Brisbane, obviously on the coast when the Suns came along. Um, and quite often would have the entire team and a couple of coaches, usually not at a pre-match, but at a post-match. And those local players were terrific and the people really gravitated to them. But bear in mind, most of the Saints supporters up here are ex 
Victorians or SA or WA or Tasmanians. Um, there's very few true Queenslanders born and bred here that follow AFL for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> what, was, uh, what was the impetus for, for you guys to start Queensland Saints? You, you said you moved up there from Melbourne and then started the group. What kind of, how, did, how did that process take place? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, Bev and I have been discussing all these last 23 years, the last day or two, so we knew, knew our facts for you. It started with the SOS back in 1995, Save Our Saints. And um, one of our mates who was one of those Queenslanders who'd never been to a game, but he followed St Kilda closely, I called Steve. And Steve said to me and Bev, he said, um, what would you do if St Kilda went broke? And I just said, well, we never will. We've got a big following and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he said, well, what if it happened? So anyway, we contacted the club. It was in 1995. They sent us a huge big bag of, you know, tins. And we went up to the Gabba and rattled tins for three weeks in the stinking, stinking hot, you know, heat. Um, and over three weeks, we raised $1,100. Uh, this is in 1995. And uh, we, we were counting the money. Everybody was very excited by that. And Banger Harvey had just signed his new contract. And we worked out we just raised over three weeks enough to pay Banger's one week of Banger's new contract. <laughs> That's how it started. So then we had a few functions. And uh, I mentioned to, to uh, Nick how we had the, uh, what we called the Legends Night in 1997, which had never been done before and has never been done since. And that's to have the three living triple Brownlow medalists at one function, which was here on the Gold Coast. With Bobby Skilton, uh, Dick Reynolds, and of course, our own Ian Stewart. So yeah, we had functions all the way along the way. And then we had pre and post match functions, uh, you know, when the players, when we, when we played up here. And it just grew and grew and grew. So, um, I think that first year, guys, we, when we contacted the club for the membership list, my memory's a bit foggy, but I think we had about 25 or 30 members in Queensland. And now it's a bit over 1,100. Yeah. There was no internet back then, so it was all done by hand. Yeah, it was all done by hand and newspaper and telephone and knocking on doors. Mm. <laughs> yeah, to grow from that small number to that larger number these, these days, today is quite good. Um, obviously, to get that sort of numbers, though, you've got to have the good functions. You've got to have the ability for the meeting of, of the supporters or keeping them up to date with all the news and everything. Is, is there something that has spread over the time going, this is what the group's about. This is what we've built it for. That just something that's stood out and gone, you've stood back and gone, this, this, this is what we've built. Mm. Yeah. And that's a good question. We, and look, it hasn't just been Bev and I, I don't want to give you that impression. We had a committee for many years um, up to eight people on the committee, all working hard to achieve that, Aaron. And um, the club were a great help, giving us players and coaches at functions. Um, and I think a lot of it, and I guess supporters of other clubs would say the same, but a lot of it was just the St Kilda passion. Just the, you know, the, the 40s quo for Dalius and, you know, boy, in those glory years of the late 90s and, you know, 205 leading up to 2010, it was just enormous. People came from everywhere um, that's what I think that's what drove a lot of it and a lot of it was generational too because you could see a family would move here whoever they barrack for particularly in the the glory years of the Lions and the kids would gravitate away from whoever the Victorian team was to the Lions which is fair you know everybody wants a winner and a lot of our parents said we don't want that to happen to our kids so we're going to wrap them in <laughs> wrap them in red white and black and keep them you know in in the fold 
So it was a bit of all of that. Yeah. Now, um, so Tony Lockett kicked 11 against Brisbane in 1991 at the Gabba, and that sounds like that was the year before you went up there. Now, St Kilda didn't win a game in Queensland until 2006 after that. So did you feel a little bit short-changed that uh, we're now winning Queensland quite frequently, but it was, a, it was a bit of a problem venue for us for a while. We couldn't win a game uh, in Queensland until the, the last round of 2006. Yeah, we're still not real keen on the Gabba or the Lions. <laughs> they were horrible years going up there, getting hammered by 100 points, seeing our players get hit around. And, um, you know, they were a pretty rough team, heavy-handed team back then, you know, what happened to Rue. And so, yeah, we still haven't forgiven them. They were difficult games to go and see. <laughs> We did see them. We did see St Kilda win a practice match over the line, so so that was quite right. exciting. <laughs> well, a, a win's a win, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got to take it when they come. But exactly. so so, what's it like now? Obviously, the, the boys are up there. What what's the weather like? We're all you know here. It's it's bloody cold, freezing, grey, and wet, and uh, everyone's stuck indoors. I guess luckily or unluckily. But what's it like up there for you guys? Well, it was twenty-two degrees today. I probably shouldn't say that to you. <laughs> Um, but having said that, the mornings and the nights are cold up here. They're fresh. And as my brother-in-law in Melbourne, uh, I was down there last year, and he said the difference in Victoria is that your homes and our home was when we lived in Melbourne, centrally heated, or most of them. You've got a fireplace. You've got something to heat the home up. We haven't. You know, we've only got two months of winter, so we don't go to that expense. So those two months of winter are gold for us. But, oh, yeah, during the day it's beautiful. And you can see the players, the way the players are enjoying the weather. I mean, Jack still even talked about getting a little suntan. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been 22 the last two days here combined, that is, actually. So, <laughs> um, it, it, is there any players that you, over just the last couple of years, that in the, couple, in the current team that have moved into the club and you've looked at and they've just blended in and they've... I, I, they've even done something for you and just gone... And they just, like, they're there for the fans. They really really embrace the fans quite well at these functions and that and who, who, who are the some of the best of that it's been difficult because in the last four years out of the possibility of having eight games um, we've only had one game and we don't include the game up in Townsville last year because Townsville is as far away as what Melbourne is so um, we haven't had a chance to meet the players for a long time so that's why we're just craving to be able to go and see them. Not that we'll have the opportunity this time either because of obvious restrictions. Um, yeah, um, Jack still did send us a message um, when the first lockdown happened. But really, that's been the only contact of, of late. Just only because of lack of games up here. Just as a, um, I guess, a, a final one from, from me, a, a standout memory for, for you guys over that journey. I mean, we spoke about the wins initially were few and far between, but they've come on obviously quite strong since then. There's been some significant results up there, even, even particular functions, particular games that, that stand out. What's been your most rewarding day, I guess, out of, out of this journey? Um, a couple of highlights for me. We had uh, cocktail parties with the players. They did training up here uh, two years in a row, which was 2008 and 2009. 
they were fantastic functions because we had a lengthy period of time with the players in a relaxed atmosphere where they didn't have to go off and play football. And um, Jaron Geary was very young and very shy at the time. <laughs> and um, but having Rue and Lenny and you know all those champions having access to those players two years in a row, they were terrific functions. Um, probably one of the games that stands out for me out of the few wins would be the last one up here when Gresh kicked that goal in the dying moments of the game at Metricon. I'm sure you remember that game. That was so exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was a really good one. That's our last memory. Yeah, I think for me, um, obviously the grand finals, and, and we were down in Melbourne for them. Hundreds of Queensland Saints went down for the, the grand finals, including 97. Um, but I think as far as functions, <clears throat> a bloke who's a complete whacker who lives up here now, Spider, and um, at one of their early functions at the Northcliff Surf Club. So we're going back to probably 1998, 1999, and we were running the function, but he and David Sirikowski got up on the stage and just grabbed the microphone off me and the MC <laughs> just took over the entire function. And you know what a character Spider can be. And Dave Sirikowski was as much of a character. Um, yeah, and they just completely ran the function. And uh, that, that, was, that was a highlight back in those days. I think that the legend's night to have the three living triple Brownlow medalists all at the one function on the stage, obviously talking. Um, that was a coup. That was really quite a coup. And there's AFL people up here now when you start talking over a beer, they say, were you there that night? Do you remember that night? Not knowing that we helped to run it. Um, that was a very special night um, to have those three guys there. And, and the following, that was actually covered by Fox, Fox TV that, um, that night. Was it 1997? Yeah. And the following week, um, in the footy record, the, the middle page spread was all about that function. So when you think that was run on the little old Gold Coast in Queensland rather than Melbourne, we thought that was pretty, pretty special. Yeah. The hunt down the record from that week, because I think I've got got them all in the yeah. garage. So I thought Early that looked for from memory. The, 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 February. Yeah, it was February. The cover of the record was purple from memory or yeah, something like that. But anyway, you'll find it. Guys, um, last, last one for me. It's, uh, it's a bit of a two-part, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, if you had one message for the, the, the boys in the playing group, they're up there in, in your state now. What would it be? And, and secondly, if you had a message to the to the fans up in Queensland, what would it be this week? Well, you do the first. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do both, but you can do both as well. <laughs> um, well, for the players, just to know that um, the Queenslander supporters are behind them as much as the Victorian supporters. We Just because we're in Queensland, it's no different to us. And for the fans... Become a member and go and see our boys play while we can. Make the most of it. Mm. And I would say for the players, and I think the club are doing this these days, I certainly hope they are, to really give the players, Dougal Howard touched on this, but to give the players an education of what the St Kilda Footy Club's all about. And we all know how many premierships we've won. We all know that. <laughs> how many premiership we've won. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, really teach them what the Badger Courage is all about, you know, back in 1933 versus North Melbourne. And yeah, the whole history and the fabric of the footy club. And uh, yeah, we've only won one flag, but heck, we could have won five or six or seven with just a bit of luck over the years. And the other thing, the players is stick to the COVID rules. 
don't don't break them like two other players have. <laughs> yeah. So, are you and the fan, well, no different. Become a member. Don't drift off to another other clubs. You just got to be patient. You know. Um, everybody admits that to win a grand final, you need a bit of luck. You need things to go your way. And I'm not. I'm not uh, quoting sour grapes, but we haven't had a lot of luck in all the grand finals. And I've been to every grand final of ours, bar 1913, gentlemen. I wasn't at the 1913 one, but I've been to every one since. And um, you need a bit of luck to win, <clears throat> win the big ones, and we just don't seem to have had it. But that will come. That will Even come. in 1913, we actually won that, but they uh, had a challenge system and made us have to play it again. So we had to win that grand final twice, which uh, yeah, kind, of, kind of sums it up, unfortunately. It does. I had a great delight telling my good mates they won five grand finals under the challenge system. Yeah, yeah. crazy. <laughs> but anyway, you've got to do it on your own, and we will. You keep knocking on yeah. the door and keep persevering. It'll come. It'll come. Last thing I was going to ask, do you still have the tins sitting around anywhere? Because you might need to start raising money, making sure the New South Wales can't buy the grand final. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So no, if you've still got, got to sit around, get out to the traffic lights and... Start getting a bit of money. <laughs> Wash their windows with one hand and collect money in the tin on the other. <laughs> the windscreen. Wash the windscreen in one hand and the tin in the other. Well, thank you very much, guys. Look after the uh, look after the boys in your state, and yeah, it's uh, it's great that um, they've started so well, and, and hopefully we can keep that journey going on the Gold Coast on uh, on Saturday. Yep, mm. let's hope so. Thanks very much. Go Saints. Yeah, go Saints. We've got to enjoy ourselves here. We spoke about the opportunity, um, you know, six, eight months ago about becoming a really connected group and what better way than to spend five weeks away with your teammates in this environment than, uh, and being able to build connections with each other. So not always going to get along, but acknowledge that five weeks with the same bunch of people is going to be testing your time. So I'm already sick of Steve, I'm already sick of Hannah's, but five weeks time, there's going to be blokes that are sick of each other, and that's fine. You've just got to talk about it, get through it, but we're all going to be much better for this experience. We, we've come here to perform. It's a high-performance half, so make sure you prepare really well to perform. Because if we perform really strongly, it's going to give us a really good opportunity to enjoy each other's company. Enjoy ourselves. Continue to prepare to win games of That's important. And make sure we're really grateful for the situation. We're really grateful for the people that are here to help us out. We now look ahead to Fremantle at Metricon Stadium. It's another one of those things where someone had have said to you at any point in history that St Kilda would play Fremantle at Metricon, uh, you would have been left scratching your head, but so it will be. And we're probably not going to play in Victoria again for, well, at least six weeks. And you think they're not going to go straight out of a lockdown into playing games in Victoria. So it's going to be longer than that. So I would suggest the best case scenario for playing games in Victoria would be if we made the finals. That would probably be about the, the limit of where we're looking at. So it's, it's a long period of hubbing for, uh, for, for the club. They'll come home, I think, briefly. They might have a buy somewhere where they just sort of come home and, and have a week off. But we'll have to replace Dan Hanabry. Hopefully that's with Zach Jones. Um, the club did obviously tease on socials last week before the Carlton game. They kept posting pictures of Jack Vitell. And they didn't pick him. So he must have been close, though, if they were doing that. But, um, yeah, you'd think that, that Jones for, for Hanabry is the, the logical first change. Yeah. yeah. I think if, if, you'd said, if you'd said to us probably even two or three years ago that, that we'd be playing Freo at Metricon, you'd probably say under the guise of being the Gold Coast Saints or some yeah. sort of merger or takeover or, or something. We sold a home game or something. Um, yeah. 
we need a lot yeah. of money. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So it's it is strange, but um, you know, you do what you got to do, and it's great as, as you said earlier to have all the all the families and the, and the kids and wives and girlfriends and stuff all, all up there with the team. I think it just speaks to the the um, passion that the guys have at the moment for, for playing under rats and playing for the club that they all want to be there and they're all kind of giving up their their life to to, to be there to, to play games to kill even the guys that aren't in the team. Um, are, are up there, so that's that's really impressive. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned Bytel this this week. All the uh, the, the promising social media has been about uh, Ryan Burns and and the impact he's had in the last two scratch matches. Um, so really interesting. I think, like you said, Zach Jones is is the the obvious one. Um, wouldn't have gone out if he if he hadn't had that that uh, little niggle. But uh, I think it's kind of like for like with with Hanbury. You bring him in, he adds that extra bit of grunt and, and power in the midfield can win his own ball. He can, can play on the outside and, and uh, provide some, some speed around the wings and off halfback. So, you know, I, th- I think that's the obvious one, but yeah, it's, it's nice to have some of those young kids that we haven't seen before by and Burns kind of knocking the door down. It's going to be interesting to see what they do and what they're able to do kind of, you know, are there going to be scratch matches up there? What's the plan for those guys that aren't getting a game week after week? Um, but, you know, Paddy Ryder still in still in the twos or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, it shows how, how well Marshall's going when an all-Australian ruckman can't get a game. And um, really interesting to see what happens there. Like, like you said earlier, I think he, he will play more this year. Um, but it's just a matter of when and, and matchups and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, Jones in, Hanbury out is the, the obvious one. I think that's possibly part of the reason behind wanting to move pretty much the whole club up to Queensland is the fact that, hey, they might come up and play against a, a, a Queensland team or something as for the reserves. Um, just just to get some sort of um, match practice in case we do have a few players fall over or something. And um, But I assume there's probably going to be a couple of games organised between the teams or the AFL sanction a couple of reserves games or whatever as well. And I mean, even if they're just playing a 10 on 10 half ground match or something against each other, mm. just tell them, go, go for it. Show you, you haven't got much opportunity to show us that you want to be in the team, but this is your opportunity. So it's a really hard one to go, Oh, who's going to come in? Who's not going to go? Who's doing that? But it feels like we've really set up a full on hub. So they go, okay, we're up there. This is what we're doing. We're, this is where we are now. Um, allowing the families in and that sort of thing. Just setting up going, we don't want you to feel like you need to go home. You're where This is our home for the moment. And just really, really hit it hard and go for it. Yeah, and I mean, whether I mean, the AFL's probably clarified rules or in the process of clarifying rules, but I think there's five or six teams hubbing in Queensland. So I know Carlton and, and a few others are up there, and even Brisbane and the Gold Coast themselves have got reserves teams. So whether you hit them up, I know Brisbane and Gold Coast are clearing out. They're playing in Sydney this week. But whether you uh, hit up those sides and just say, look, if you haven't got a NEFL comp, we haven't got the BFL, um, we talk to Carlton even and say, look, you want to have another hit out, or whether we're allowed to. Um, you would hope that they'd be able to do something like that because obviously you want the players putting their hand up. But, I mean, it's hard to drop anyone from, from that team. Um, clearly, you have one forced to change. And as we said last week, I think our injury list consists of Dunstan and Hanabry plus Jones, who uh, should hopefully be right. Um, if he doesn't play, then that's when you, you look to one of those kids. But uh, if Jones replaces Hanabry, it offsets that loss. Um, and then 
you can't see anyone else getting dropped. I mean, as you said earlier, Nick, probably our poorest contributors on the day were probably guys like Gresham and Hill who were safe as houses in that lineup. So, um, I mean, Dean Kent would be a vulnerable one, but he's played well enough to survive in the, the last couple of games. So uh, that will continue. Jack Loney keeps doing his job. Um, even on the weekend, that he didn't score, but he had 16 or 17 possessions and some good forward pressure acts. So, yeah, they'd probably be the changes for, from Fremantle's point of view. So Griffin Lowe played probably his best ever game for Freo last week. He's out uh, with an injury. Jesse Hogan's been struggling, but, but he's out for a couple of weeks. He, he makes their structure better, though, when he's there, when you've got Hogan, Taverner and Lobb. So Taverner and Lobb will be the two key tools. Um, hopefully Fife doesn't come up, but it looks like he might. Um, but logically still goes to him. I mean, he's one of the best players in the comp, so that's another, another challenge. But... Um, Hopefully, um, Brad Hill coming up against his old side, it might be the, the spark to, to have him reach his, his peak form. But Fremantle have been pretty competitive in, in all of their games. They probably lack the polish to, to win. Um, obviously, they, they lost narrowly to Essendon and Brisbane and Port got them fairly comfortably and then the Gold Coast got away from them. And then obviously, they beat Adelaide last week in a, in a pretty ugly game. But they look like they're playing competitive, honest football, but hopefully don't quite have the weaponry to... Uh, to cause too much damage, but yeah, it's 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 not a, it's not an easy game because of that because they've been stay, staying close to sides. But um, hopefully we can if we bring our effort or our output from the Richmond and Carlton double, then hopefully we've got enough for them. Well, let's go. Well, the thing on their side is that they've also been there for a few weeks too already. So um, I'm a bit a bit more com. Yeah, I'm a bit more confident having played. Marvel last week. If we'd gone from an MCG matchup to there, it would be feeling a little bit different because, yeah, I mean, under the roof, it's similar sort of hard ground, um, similar dry conditions, that sort of thing. But, yeah, it's really got a it's, – it's a completely different field that we're going to be going out into for, the, for this game. Um, so, hopefully, I don't know whether they're possibly getting a little bit sore playing on the harder ground after a few weeks or not, but – yeah, we've got to really take out the fact that that yeah they they have been there for a few weeks now. I mean, Fife Fife's the big one because he's he's really is their barometer and, and their X factor. I mean, he's he's probably the best player in the competition when he's when he's fit and healthy. Um, you know, he's so important to to how they play and and for us it's really important because you know so much depends on that matchup. Does does Jack Steele go to to Nat Fife if if he plays? Um, you know, prior to to Crips. Steele had kind of been playing a bit of a bit more of, of his own football rather than trying to be accountable for a certain player or, or go back to that tagging role that he's, he's played for the last couple of years. So if five if five plays, do they keep Steele in that role that he played last week and, and you know, put him on, on five or, or do they let him go win his own ball uh, and, and try and make them accountable for him? I don't know if, if five doesn't play, that's it's a lot easier decision because Steele has shown, you know, so far this season how good he can be when, when he let him loose and, and let him to play offensive attacking football. Um, so it, it's a really big one for, for obvious reasons. But um, like you said, I, I think that there's a couple of ways this can go because they are used to the conditions now. Um, and hopefully, like you said, Parker, they're, they're thinking about going home. They've been away for a while. They want to go home. And H, maybe they're a bit sore from, from the hard ground, but you, you never know. Um, it, it's just interesting to see the, the kind of, the mental and, and emotional output from, from these clubs, you know, our, our boys look and sound like they're up and about and they're, they're really to be up there and, and playing footy. 
free or, you know, for, for a little while, we're, we're a little bit like that, but um, have kind of, you know, that they had a win on the weekend, which is, which has been really important for them. But I think overall that they, they, they seem a bit down. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see which Frio turns up. If, if we can get our away form, you know, we're pretty good at Marvel, but away from Marvel, we've been a bit iffy. So, um, you know, if we can get that up and running, then, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be hard to beat. That's for sure. That's right. So it's uh, Saturday, the early game, half past 12. I think it's at Metricon Stadium for that one. And then we've got a Monday night game the following week against Adelaide. It's an important fortnight. Obviously, the St Kilda are going to start favourites in both games. We sit fourth on the ladder at the moment. So a long way to go. But in saying that, we're a third of the way into the season already. 17-game season, five games down. So you're just about a third of the way through. So we can capitalise. It's obviously one game at a time, but if we can capitalise this week and, and give ourselves a, a nice platform to build into whatever the rest of the season looks like, because it's going to be a lot of travel and got some good teams to play. So hopefully we can tick a box this week. But uh, good luck, guys. I was going to say, we've, uh, we've always been sort of talking about the prospect of meeting up to watch games. Not going to be able to do that for a little while. So uh, we'll be watching games in isolation from our Victorian prison. But um that the guys are, uh, are up and ready to go. As you said, there's worse places to play than, uh, than Metricon. But uh, go Saints and fingers crossed it's three in a row. This has been Unplugged and a reminder that if you are a carnivore that lives in Melbourne and hasn't been to Marbled Meat, you are missing out. That's the type of feedback Marbled Meats receives from their customers. That review is currently on Google Reviews. So go on, get onto Google, type in Marbled Meats East Bentley, and you can see it all for yourself. Whether it's a porterhouse or pork belly, poultry or even pet treats you're after, Marbled Meats has you covered with all of that and more. Head into store at 291 Chesterfield Road, Bentley East. You can order online as well with our promo code PLUGGER, which will get you 10% off your order and free delivery on any order. Over 80 bucks to a tonne of locations around Melbourne and the Mornington Peninsula. So stock up your meat supply, marbledmeats.com.au, promo code PLUGGER for 10% off and free delivery. Bringing that classic butcher back to the suburbs of East Bentley, it's Marbled Meats. 